0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blackchain Podcast. It's been a little bit of time since I made one of these, but I thought I'd jump back in and provide an update from my perspective on what's going on in the crypto space since the last couple months has seen quite a bit of activity. Um, And so with that said, the big topics, uh, I suppose, that will be discussed in this podcast and that have been discussed over the last few months have really been tied to uh, the Libra, Calibra sort of uh, cryptocurrency from Facebook and then the hearings that have taken place around that and crypto in general the Bitcoin price going up and then down, you know, somewhere around 13 or so, and then coming back down somewhere around nine or so. And so there's just been that fluctuation. I think there's been some interesting developments in the Lightning Network that I'll discuss a little bit. And then a few other things as well, including decentralized finance, which I actually find to be incredibly fascinating at the moment. Um, All that is, well, most of that is built on the Ethereum network, and I'll discuss Um, things like Compound and MakerDAO and DAI and Instadap and all those things that have been popping up that are really, really interesting, actually. Uh, EOS and how they're having some of their governance issues and why I think that that's hurting price and why I think that it will be very difficult to actually correct that in the future going forward. I'll discuss that a bit. And then lastly, I think I'll touch bases on Dash just really briefly. I think Dash has some very interesting um, potential Uh, going forward because they are really trying to position themselves as a payment system. So starting from the top, I suppose, Libra, um, obviously it's not out. They have a white paper out and there's a little bit of murkiness around uh, what it's actually going to be. But in essence, at the very high level, it's essentially going to be um, a stable coin um, with a basket of currencies. You could call it an SDR. If you're familiar with you know, that being discussed many years ago, and I don't know if it's still around or whatever the case may be, but an SDR pre- previously, um, and I can't remember exactly the exact uh, acronym, but it was a basket of currencies, and so you have this other currency to derive. So say so maybe you have some yen, maybe you have some dollars, maybe you have some euros, and it's just basket, and then you combine all those up into an SDR. And then um, Facebook is kind of trying to take that concept in a way and merge it with some blockchain sort of Byzantine fault-tolerant sort of uh, consensus mechanisms and uh, some block producers, it seems like, a consortium of them. Um, and then they're trying to kind of create this SDR that can uh, be transferred and, and sent to anywhere around the world. And again, it's based on a basket of currencies. So the tricky part that is should be coming very clear at this point is that the, the Facebook um, uh, crypto, if you want to call it that, I think that's a I don't know if you can call it a crypto or not, because it's really just fiat currencies, a basket of them being sent along the internet with um, using some blockchain sort of concepts and technologies behind it. But let's call it a crypto for now. And the problem with that is, is that they're going to need to have uh, banks and all these different jurisdictions that it's going to be used. Um, They're going to have to be able to potentially censor or keep people off the platform or reverse transactions potentially. And they might have to comply with all of these typical banking requirements and banking laws and liquidity requirements and all of these other things. And then each jurisdiction. So if you're going to be in Europe, if you're going to be in China, if you're going to be in Japan, South Korea, US, you're going to have to comply with all those regulations. And that's something that's, you know, quite onerous, I would think. And you're really becoming some sort of a a bank, you're really having to Uh, deal with all the overhead that comes along with that. And right now, the, you know, Congress and so forth in the U.S. are, and even across the world in India and other places, they're becoming very um, concerned with that prospect because they want it to be regulated, they want it to be able to be traceable, they want all the KYC, AML stuff in there, Uh, know your customer, anti-money laundering stuff, and they also don't want to compete in a way. So, the tricky part is that if Facebook is creating this currency, and it's a basket of currencies, and say you have the U.S. dollar, or you have the um, uh, yen, or whatever else, and say some country wants to devalue their currency, well, if their people have access to this basket currency thing that's just as um, easy to use, and uh, is kind of balanced out by some other fiat currencies, um, then they might drop their own currency that's being devalued and go to this uh, Libra currency, which for Facebook, they're like, okay, great. You know, we're absorbing all these uh, people or onboarding all these folks. But from the central banking point of view, it reduces their ability to control the currency and devalue it as they need to, or as they see, think they need to. And it takes away some tools, I guess, from the central bankers, potentially. And so that's a real, real risk, and it's something that you know regulators are very much concerned with. Um, and so that was kind of playing out over the last several weeks and several months. And I think going forward, that Facebook has a very big uphill battle on this, and the fact that they are relying on banks and fiat currencies is going to make it so that they have to comply with all of those rules everywhere in the world, um, any place that it's uh, that it's possible to use a currency. Um, And then if it really is a cryptocurrency, then it's going to be very tricky to kind of regulate that unless they have so many controls, you know, baked into it that, you know, someone has to kind of manage all of those things with either identities or geo blocking or things like that. But it becomes a real kind of mess. And really, um, I think at the end of the day, it's debatable whether it's even worth doing at that point. So, we'll see how that turns out. Uh and then there was also talk of Bitcoin and other things at, from the US regulators' point of view and it's overall it seemed not too not too bad. I mean, there was a tr- there was a tweet by Trump that he's not a big fan of Bitcoin and uh, Libra and but he did he did distinguish between the two. Um but he also indicated with Bitcoin that the value was, you know, made up out of thin air and you know, there's some truth to that. Just a l- just as as well with uh Any other currency, you know, those are kind of made up through a psychological consensus and network of fact uh, uh, goods being able to be um, bought with that currency, people accepting that currency. And so it is this social sort of um, thing. And with Bitcoin, it has that in a, a similar traits to the US dollar, but on a much smaller scale at this point. And presumably it'll grow over time. So the consensus kind of was from the U.S. regulators was that, you know, there's regulation coming. There was this hint and this continued hint of, you know, cryptos potentially and Libra specifically becoming a national security issue. And I think if that starts to play out, you're going to see a much bigger crackdown on the crypto space. But again, You can't shut down cryptos like uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or things like that. It's very, very, very difficult. And I would argue impossible at this point and probably impossible from inception, which is, you know, was designed to be um, basically unkillable. Now, things with Libra and such and even maybe Tether or other stable coins, it is possible to shut those down because you can go after the entities behind them or the banks behind them because they are tied to the traditional banking system. So. Um, Overall, I would say it created a lot of exposure. It's very interesting to hear the Federal Reserve Chairman um, Powell talking about crypto, um, alluding that it's similar to gold in different ways and all sorts of things. So it was very, very surreal to kind of see us come from, you know, way back in 2009 and about 2010, 11, when I was in this. And really, I I couldn't imagine that um, in this time frame that the central bankers and Congress and, and the public at large would all be discussing, you know, this this new sort of money currency and how to manage it and, and being, you know, pretty receptive overall about it, which is, again, remarkable. So that was the crypto and uh, Libra sort of saga. Nothing too crazy. I think when people started becoming a little bit negative, it, it put uh, some headwinds on the Bitcoin price, which had headed downward. Um, prior to that, you know, ramping up, it had... Uh, Bitcoin had been leading all the cryptos, really pulling away the dominance figure going up. Right now, I think it's trailing a little bit, but that could change. But I do think things are going to normalize a bit. I do think that the alts, um, a lot of alts have a lot of value in different ways. Uh, I never really bought into the Bitcoin maximalist sort of view. I think Bitcoin right now, and I've said this before, is the store of value currency um, or money, if you want to call it that. And that's great, but it certainly isn't the payment one at this point. And another one could certainly take that crown and maybe it's dash, maybe it's Bitcoin cash, maybe it's these others. And I know that Bitcoin hardcore Bitcoin folks will hate to hear that because they think Lightning's going to, um, do everything. And lightning is, is coming along. There are several apps like breeze, uh, lightning labs on iOS and a handful of others, um, that allow you to transact, uh, and use a lightning network relatively easily, but there are still issues with, you know, channel management and things like that for certain apps. And there are aspects of just understanding and usability and people having to be online, you know, to, to receive, and things of that nature. So it is cumbersome and it is something that people aren't accustomed to on a day-to-day basis. It is much easier, even though the addresses for crypto are weird, it is very familiar to send money to an address. That's how banking is done now. You have your routing number, you have your account number, someone can send you money, right? Do an e-check. And with Bitcoin, if you have an address, you can send it to someone else and you know you can um, um, receive that. So you just have to provide that address. It would be nice if it had you know, uh, names that were recognizable and things like that. And, you know, that should be easy enough to do. And Dash is working on that. But overall, um, asking people to use the Lightning Network and having to, you know, pay fees to get into the Lightning Network. Because when you go into the network, uh, into the second layer, you have to pay that transaction fee. And then when you come out, you have to pay a transaction fee. And there's submarine swaps and all these other things that, you know, help in different ways. But at the end of the day, if the Bitcoin fees are high, then um you're going to have a very expensive entry and exit and uh, if someone closes the channel and you have to pop out then you're going to have to pay for that and so that's that's going to be a bit annoying to people as thing as time goes on and i think a project that really understands that really does seem to be dash because they wrote this article and uh maybe i'll link it in on the website if you go to the Co website and you find this podcast um uh you, you may be able to, I may, I may link the article, but the Dash folks are talking about, you know, the issues that Bitcoin has. For example, um, right now, the sender of the transaction, right? So if I'm going to go pay for something with Bitcoin on layer one, on chain, um, then I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to send it to a person, get their address, send it to the person, send it to the vendor, send it to the um, retailer, whatever it is. And then I'm going to have to pay a fee. So as the buyer, the purchaser, I'm the one paying the fee, and that's a little bit backwards from what we're used to right now. If you use your credit card, for example, you don't pay a fee; it's baked into the price of the goods on the back end. Sure, I mean the retailer is going to, you know, account for that, but I don't pay the fee on the front end if I go to Target or something and I buy some things. In fact, I actually get money back; I get you know the cash back from my you know uh, credit card rewards, and so. Right now, the whole crypto payment thing with, uh, with uh, Bitcoin is very much backwards, and that's potentially a problem, or I think it is a problem, and Dash thinks it's a problem. Um, there's also the point-of-sale aspect, where you, know, you have your kiosks, you go up there, you make your payment, or whether you're going to a restaurant or you're checking out somewhere, you expect it to be done in a relatively short period of time, within seconds. And most transactions are still done at point-of-sale, um, which I think is very important to internalize as that's how things are done. And so with Bitcoin, obviously, you can't, you know, wait an hour for your transaction to clear and then leave uh, the restaurant or the store or take your product. Now, if it has lightning, then it could be instant and very, very, very quick. But then you have to have make sure you have the ability to do that. You have to have the app and the channels open and things of that nature and routing and balancing of channels. And again, in the future, maybe it becomes easy and simple and it is getting better. I will have to say lightning is getting better. But it is something that is not very intuitive at this point. It is not something that's um, easy for people to understand. And even the people who are saying, oh, yeah, it's getting way easier, like myself or others, it's like highly technical people who um, are uh, have been in this for years and years and years. And even now, what's going on behind the scenes with lightning is still sometimes mysterious, even to technical folks who've been in this space for a decade. So, you know, take that um, take that uh, into consideration as well. But going back to kind of Dash, they're looking at the point of sale stuff, they're looking at the rebate stuff, they're looking at the confirmation of transactions instantly, they're looking at all of these different things that are very, very, very important for a payment sort of network. And that's where I do see a lot of value in Dash. I think that you may have Bitcoin as a store of value. You may have Dash as the payment thing, uh, the payment network. Could even be Bitcoin Cash. Um, but I think the the Dash folks are really thinking about this pretty hard and pretty uh, diligently. And uh, I respect that at the moment. So that was kind of dovetailing into you know, a little bit about Bitcoin and then uh, Dash. And I'm kind of jumping around here a bit. But the next thing on the list is, um, let's talk about decentralized finance. And I've been talking about this off and on in my other podcasts, and this one is really actually quite fascinating because um, I don't know how to how to articulate how I feel about this, but I feel like this is the next incarnation of of Bitcoin you know, in the sense that Bitcoin was remarkable when I first saw it, and it was remarkable when it first came out because of all the things that it was designed to do and the elegance in which it did that and so it created this you know currency it fixed the double spend problem it had this consensus mechanism it had this mining aspect that you know accommodated distribution and then security of the network and all of these things it was really quite a fascinating package and little bits of it had been kind of experimented with in years before but it all really came together with bitcoin and of course bitcoin has been updated and modified a bit here and there as we've moved through the years but it's it was a pretty remarkable concept. Now, the next remarkable concept that i 'm seeing is this decentralized finance aspect that i really really want to emphasize that, and I really want to encourage you to look into it further and more deeply but this this innovation is really taking place on ethereum, and this is bringing back some of my um or bringing back i don 't know some belief or um, some confidence in the Ethereum network from an application point of view. Now there are still issues with scaling and the underlying stuff. And I have some concerns with proof of stake, but there are some really serious applications for De- DeFi that are being built on it. And some of those that you may be aware of, if you've listened to my other podcast would be MakerDAO and DAI, which I talk about probably too much at this point. Very, very interesting. Check those out. But now there's these aspects of these other services with smart contracts that smart contracts that are um, building off of that platform in a way. And so like compound.finance, dharma.io, um, now latest um, Instadap, uh, these basically create this automated um, or easy or decentralized, whatever you want to call it, banking, where you can loan, you can borrow, you can leverage, you can do these other things, and your your interest rates are quite high at the moment. Right now you can get a 15% APR, for lending out your DAI you can get something around five or six percent for lending out your USDC something very low for lending out Ethereum and some others because there's a high high uh, liquidity for those and then something like Instadap automatically kind of switches things up and allows you to kind of manage all of your finances or your banking from that portal using things like Compound and MakerDAO and so it's kind of like this third interface so You have MakerDAO and DAI, and you have Ethereum as kind of these, you know, things that are closer to the base layer. Then you have Compound, and then you have, you know, Instadap, say, on top of that. And if you look at each of those services and kind of click around, you'll begin to see the architecture that I'm talking about. But this is building and building, and I suspect in the future there will be more aspects of derivatives. Um, changes in collateralization requirements, changes in being able to use maybe someday security tokens as collateral. Um, other collateral is already in the works for MakerDAO other than Ethereum. So that could be other tokens on the Ethereum network. Um, and, you know, obviously, Ethereum was the trailblazer in ICOs, which is also technically a decentralized finance product. And so it really, really is looking like Ethereum is being kind of tailored to you know, decentralized finance. And I know that that's a big crown to take. And there's a lot of other folks who are saying they can do that like EOS or, um, even Cardano and even lightning networks, um, locking stuff up in the nodes. Uh, that's being considered, um, uh, an aspect of DeFi too. Um, but I, I, I could argue that that's not the case. How much stuff's locked up in the Lightning Network? I think it's like ten million dollars worth of Bitcoin, but um, I don't think that I would call that DeFi at this point. At some point, you might be able to create Lightning apps, which they which they call Laps, Lapps L A P P S, and then you'll be able to you know maybe build some of these other things. But you know I don't know how exactly that plays out. And there's some limited functionality in what you can do with the Bitcoin network by intention. There's root stock but you know I don't I don't know so much about that. Ethereum really is um taking off in this in this space. So uh some other tools that you should be aware of uh for DeFi uh are like uh websites like Loan Scan and DeFi Pulse. And I'll put all of these links uh in the in the podcast. Maybe I'll uh um, I don't know. I'm posting this one. Probably seven twenty seven two thousand nineteen or seven twenty eight two thousand nineteen. So look for that date stamp, I suppose, in the podcast, and and then find the post, and and you'll see uh, all these different uh, tools for DeFi, all the different uh, um, uh, sites that kind of aggregate all the loans that have put been put out. And there's really a lot to say. And at some point, I'd like to like write some articles about it, but it's just so much stuff, and I'm so busy at this point. Um, But check it out for yourself and research it yourself, because I I really do think that this is the next big, um, big thing in crypto. So with that, it wasn't too much in depth, but check it out. And uh, it also renews, like I said, my faith in Ethereum a bit. And I think Ethereum for sure, just by based on the applications that are being built on top, I, I don't see it really going anywhere anytime soon. They are having some issues with storage and scaling and things like that but presumably it'll be worked out and there's a lot of people working on Ethereum. Uh, there's a lot of developers. So we'll see. Um, and the last thing I want to touch bases on is EOS. And so EOS has been, um, they had their June 1st sort of events. They announced a handful of things. The biggest one, you know, from a consumer facing point of view is the, uh, the deployment of voice, which should take place after September of this year. And the reason for that is the network has to be upgraded. There's this hard... Um, non-contentious fork that needs to take place to add some of the functionality that is required for voice. One of the big ones is um, someone else being able to pay to create an account um, for others uh, on EOS. So in any event, I'll do a quick recap of the EOS event um, in the sense of how I perceived it. Uh, Very, very short event, very short from my perspective. Uh, there were some aspects of Coinbase Earn talked about. There were some aspects with YubiKey, Key, some scaling and performance improvements, and then of course the big, the big announcement was Voice.com, which is Block One's um, uh, social media platform uh, on EOS. And the big thing from that was that everyone's going to be a real person on there, and there's not going to be bots and spam and all this other stuff, and and that uh, you will be able to earn Voice tokens. For the content that you generate, and so forth and so on. So, like I said, first the whole network's got to be upgraded to 1.8, I think, and so that's going to happen sometime uh, in September, is what it's slated for. And and then once that's done, it's anyone's guess when um, uh, Block One will actually start deploying the voice application on the mainnet. Now, all that said, great, you know, before. Before that event, I think EOS was at $8 or 7 something, somewhere up there. And um, then right after the event, it just started its downward trend, and now it's at like four forty. So, you know, a pretty big hit, not quite um, 50%, but pretty dang close. And, you know, there's also been a lot of things coming out in the governance uh, model or the consensus model and uh, BP voting and so forth. And so I had mentioned this, I think, in previous podcasts, and I brought this up in, on Twitter on multiple occasions, um, and it was kind of dismissed by block one. I think uh, I think that was wrong. I think that was a mistake. And what we have now is essentially, you know, a real governance problem and a BP voting problem where block producers are colluding. It seems like there seems to be some aspects of vote buying. There seems to be aspects of using user tokens on exchanges to vote um Uh, and then the exchange voting it's overall heavily dominated by Asian exchanges the block producers i think there's six seven or so that are that and then there's a bunch of whales that uh basically two of them bitfinex and uh uh, i think it's wobi um is how you say it they're basically dominating the chain if you really want to break it down they're they're more or less dominating the chain and if you look at eos weekly's um podcast and again i'll i'll uh, link that on the page as well where this podcast is posted on blockchain co. Um that's um they they outline really, really specifically how the whales basically control the network and there's issues with that in the sense that it's it's basically two folks kinda kinda determining what's going on. And that's not decentralized. That's not twenty one block producers in effect. You'll see this or you used to see this pie chart where it would show like, oh, you know, EOS is more decentralized than Bitcoin because, uh, you know, they'd show the Bitcoin pools and then they would show the EOS um, block producers 21 evenly split. It's not how it works because you have voters below that. And if you have big whales, uh, big whale voters, those people are effectively choosing, you know, who's in the network. And that can be less than 21, that could be five, or that could be two big exchanges And, you know, there's talk about changing the consensus, consensus mechanism, there's all these other discussions, but if you really want to break it down and you really want to get into it, and and maybe at some point I'll discuss this or write something up in more detail, it's really a function of um, the DPOS sort of consensus mechanism and proof of stake in general. So delegated proof of stake and proof of stake in general will always favor people with the most money, the most concentrated money, and in a sense... That would be the exchanges because people put their coins on the exchanges and that's a depository. It's a bank. And so any sort of banks or depositories or exchanges or whatever you want to call them um, that exist in any sort of proof of stake system, those folks will have the most power. Um, And that's just the way it's going to be. And over time, things concentrate, wealth concentrate, according to the Pareto principle, you know, the 80-20 rule or, you know, you're going to have more of the wealth being concentrated at the top. And that's always the case in just about any economy, in just about any sort of structure, is that's what happens. So in a a proof of stake system, it's inevitably going to be dominated by the wealthy. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of people who I suppose will disagree with me, but they're just straight up wrong. Um, They're completely wrong. And that's why there's some advantages to proof of work. Um, because proof of work actually, and it's not clear up front, but proof of work actually, um, segregates things a bit. It creates chambers. And the first chamber is the miners, right? And that's what everyone kind of loves to hate is the miners, but the miners are performing a very particular function. 're you know they're transforming electricity into crypto and they're doing it as efficiently as possible and they're doing it with specialized hardware in low electric rates and you know the the risk there is concentration in geography because of electric rates um, but at the end of the day it's it's a it's a it's a um something that's available to everyone electricity right um, so you do have some concentration of that you do also have a pool sort of operation where you can have concentration in the number of pools there are. And then, you know, that's kind of one chamber in a way. Maybe you call the pools a second chamber and you call the miners, you know, a chamber. And maybe you call the nodes another chamber. And this is where it's very important is this is why running a nodes important because the nodes, you know, kind of determine the rules. And, of course, miners... Uh, are nodes as well but you also have nodes at exchanges you have nodes at home you have operators all over the place and so those nodes are also a mechanism in the quote-unquote voting process which software you're running and so you have kind of at least two chambers maybe you could argue there's a third chamber with the pools um, and, and I'm, if i'm losing you i apologize but this is this is kind of pretty important stuff and so with bitcoin it kind of has this multi um, multi-level government if you will if you look at something like Decred, it also has proof of stake, so it has, um, um, and even Dash does as well. Where you have mining, then you have nodes, and then you have stakers, and then you have, you know, also have pools, and then you also, I guess those those are each of the components. And so, each of those components, when broken up like that, you actually typically don't have um, concentration of power because someone who's running a node is doing a very different operation than. Um, someone who's mining and someone who's mining uh, maybe has different economics than someone who's doing proof of stake where a miner needs to sell a certain portion of his coins to just cover his costs. And whereas a proof of stake person just needs to accumulate wealth and then that produces a level of control. But if you have mining and proof of stake together, then they balance each other out. You know, the miner is doing his job. The staker is accumulating wealth, but the staker can't overwhelm the miner and the miner can't overwhelm the staker. So it creates a pretty good system. Now, with delegated proof of stake and EOS specifically is EOS is, you know, a, a very high, high, um, high, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? High performance requirements. So the servers are very big. They're very beefy. They're very powerful. And so there's a in- intrinsic barrier to entry. And so uh, there's also this intrinsic requirement of technical expertise, software expertise, things of that nature, being able to scale, you know, and, and, uh, deploy updated software and communicate all these things. And by nature, this is the best. The people who are best at this are exchanges. They know how to perform transactions quickly. They know how to manage servers. They know how to scale servers. And so, again, I think this is why you're seeing the DPoS, uh, the Delegated Proof of Stake, for EOS being dominated by exchanges is one they have all of their user funds and that gives them a great amount of power and they also have all of the skills to run a node effectively and efficiently and it's kind of almost a a bonus to their normal operations because i suspect that they just you know spin up some additional services servers in their infrastructure and they have all the folks to manage those and do these other things so it's aligned with exchanges as well just the the nature of running these and what we're seeing uh, overall is is that the people who started the chain, the uh, the block producers that are more organic, as far as um, they're not exchanges, they don't have a preexisting business like Cypherglass, EOS New York, you know, Crypto Lions, all these folks. They're all none of them are in the top 21 anymore. It's all exchanges and and big whale sorts and uh, things of that nature. And so there's a lot of contention um, right now. And and how do we change that, or do we change that, or is that just the way it is? And From my perspective at this point, and this could change in the future, is this is the product of a decentralized proof-of-stake system with high requirements for the BPs. And so it will always go to something like this, period. Um, Now, someone may come up with something clever that disturbs this and makes it better, Um, but then you have to look at the Pareto principle, and, and Dan Larimer has even brought this up over the last several weeks, and this is the truth, is that You know, if you don't have proof of work and you don't have you know proof of stake and you don't have nodes and you don't have those all kind of working together in different governance and have their own their own governance methodologies each, you're going to have a problem um, with decentralization, and that's that's where I think we're going to end up. And so, with that said, I don't know what that'll do for the value Um, overall. uh, I think it'll lose its value, its decentralization value. It's losing it now unless they can correct. Um, you still have the performance, you still have the unique sort of architecture with creating accounts and not having to pay per transaction and all of these other things. So I'm not abandoning EOS altogether. It's just that it's, it's, hits, it's hit a pocket of air and uh, needs to navigate through this and we'll see how it does that. But it is a, a pretty significant issue in its governance and it's a very significant... Uh, diff- it's difficult to change that as time goes on. And I had mentioned that on Twitter and if you don't follow on Twitter, you can do that at uh, blockchainco, that's the handle. But I had mentioned that m- multiple times, had mentioned that to Dan and others, and, you know, uh, their June 1 was more important with their voice thing, and and uh, they, I think they missed a chance before that to see what was going on and see how things were changing and see seeing that this was going to become a problem, and now it's a problem. Um, so with that, I think I covered a, a bit, um, it looks like we're a bit over a half an hour, but Overall, there's a lot of things going on in crypto. I encourage you to look at DeFi, continue to study it. Um, I study it every day. I use the different tools every day, Um, learned about it every day. I think Dash is very interesting. I think how the EOS um, governance shakes out is is going to be very important. I think Libra is on the kind of the sidelines. It's going to get nailed and Facebook's going to get hammered, but we'll see, you know, what comes out and how uh, they adapt to that. And I think Bitcoin and Lightning are developing, but I'm not convinced at this point that um, Lightning is going to be the payment system of the future. not convinced yet, not excluding it by any means, but it's not clear. And so with that, um, I will close out this podcast and make sure you check out the website, blackchain.co. And I think the most important thing is probably to follow on Twitter at this point, as I kind of I'm more sporadic about things, but I do share some of my thoughts on Twitter at BlackchainCO. Make sure you go and follow there. And then sometimes I do a little bit here and there on Facebook and other places. But Twitter, I think, is the most important at this point. So with that, I will see you next time on the Blackchain Podcast.